This is a production of KMmedia.pro. Welcome back to Positive Talk Radio. Our goal is simple, to explore evolving ideas one conversation at a time. So come on over into our world. I know you'll like it, because on today's show... Today's show is going to be a very special show. I hope you'll stay with us for the entire time. We're going to be talking about children and um, hopefully in a real good way. So we're going to be talking about children and uh, the foster care system and this one lady who's doing an extraordinary job. She has been doing this for 40 years since she was five or a little older than that, maybe. And we're going to talk to her in just a moment. But before we go there, I need to talk to my friend Eric. How are you, buddy? Hey, Kevin. Happy Monday to you. I'm doing well. I'm glad. It's a beautiful day, kind of, I think. I haven't been outside much, um, but I think it's okay. Yeah, it's a it's a nice day. It's, uh, you know, a partly cloudy, kind of slightly cooler day, which is a nice change of pace from all the heat we've been having. And then we're right back into uh, a hot and sunny week. So, you know, it's nice to have these little pauses, I think. One of the great things about being in the Pacific Northwest. It is. You know how soon we forget. It was rainy in, in May and stuff, and we were lambasting that. But now now it's sunny and it's hot, and now we want it to rain a little bit more. We're, we're crazy. That's true. But, uh, you know, I, I never complain when we're between, you know, 72 degrees and 87 degrees. You know, I think that's a great little zone there that uh, I can tolerate very well for a summer. So uh, I, I think we're quite lucky. It's a beautiful summer this year. Yeah, it really is. And I want to remind everybody that since it is summer and we haven't had rain in a while, that things are getting drier. Oh, yes. And so please make smart decisions as far as what you're throwing out your window, uh, what you're lighting up in the backyard, fireworks, any of that kind of stuff, because uh, it's dry and yeah. it, it's dry as a bone. And and my my friend's best friend almost lost his house in Rory the other day. Oh, no, I'm so sorry to hear that. Care. Well, here's the thought. It's July 17th, so let's quit celebrating 4th of July now. <laughs> we, we, we've, we've had, you know, 13 days now, so let's put those fireworks away. I agree 100%. And by the way, you just brought up um, um, July 17th, and that is the second anniversary of my mother's passing. So I want to acknowledge that as well. Yes. I don't know what you're going to say to that. <laughs> well, I, I've got nothing to say to that. And it was it was a surprising, I, I don't want to say fun fact, but uh, surprising uh, tidbit there. But, uh, you know, my condolences uh, to you, of course. Um, you know, uh, hopefully with the passing of time, it becomes a little easier. Well, it does. And I got to tell you, you know, she that that week she played bridge on Wednesday. She went out to dinner on Thursday and passed away on Friday. I can't think if you got to go. She was 90 years old. If you got to go, that's I can't think of a better way. And uh, and um, so, you know, from that standpoint, uh, it's all well and good. But sounds I just, like she was know, having fun right to the end. Absolutely. And she just bought a new car, too. Amazing to me. But in any event, um, I that when you brought up the date, I hadn't even given it a second thought until you did that. So I guess it's all your fault. 
<laughs> Great. <laughs> <laughs> In any event, thank you, Eric, for being here. He's the program director of both uh, KKNW and Kixie, and we're on both stations. Uh, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Friday. So if you go on Monday and send Monday and Wednesday and Friday, we're on KKNW at 3, 4, and noon. And then we're on at 3 o'clock in the afternoon on KIXI. And we are loving every minute of it. And it's great for us to be there. And and it's great to be part of the uh, Hubbard family of uh, broadcasters. So I am real pleased that, that we're there. And thank you very much. Our guest today has written a book. And this book says, Raising Other People's Children. That's the name of the book. And it is about, well, what we're going to talk to her about today. Her name is Debbie, Debbie Osborne. And Debbie, welcome to the show. How are you today, my dear? I am fine. Thank you very much. You have spent your life doing wonderful things for a lot of people. You've been working with traumatized children, served as a social worker, a group home parent, a criminal prosecutor. Oh my. And volunteer. We'll have to talk to you about that. And, and if you've got a, if you've got a show coming out about that, everybody has a show about that these days. <laughs> you were a volunteer and a board member an attorney defending youth serving organizations, foster parent, step parent and kinship uh, care provider. You've got, and I was reading that. Is it true Counselor, is it true? Now, you know what they say about a lawyer. You're supposed to know the answer to the question before you ever ask it. So I'm going to ask you, Do you? is it true that you have seven uh, children and ten grandchildren? Yes. I, I have had never had biological kids, but I have collected seven kids and ten grandkids. <laughs> when you say collected, what exactly does that mean? <laughs> Well, it's a combination of former foster kids and my stepkids. Ah, very, very good. I, I want to thank you for doing what you're doing. And one of the reasons why um, this, uh, this um, subject is important to us these days is that there, the foster care system is um, overburdened and oh, yes. it's about ready to get more overburdened. Um, because of uh, the Dobbs decision and, and other things. And, uh, and we all need to get together in this country, in my opinion. I lo love your opinion as to what you agree, if you agree with this. We need to rally around each other and start working for the betterment of our children so that we can raise a great next generation. Oh, I, I firmly agree with that. The problems are... They're, they're only getting worse, and it's more complicated now than ever before to be a foster parent or um, a step-parent. So it, it, the kids are sort of um, left without a lot of the resources that they need. It's And why do you think that is? I mean, this is the greatest country in the world. Why don't we take care of our own as, as well as we could? Well, I, I think to some extent, individual people are doing that. But for example, kids who come into foster care nowadays have much higher levels of mental health challenges, much more complicated issues than they've ever had before. 
And to some extent, it's caused by well-meaning policies that, <coughs> excuse me, that um, have backfired to some degree. So, for example, what you have a lot of times in foster care is the um, push to reconcile and reunify with parents leaves kids in limbo. And I understand there, there's good reasons to try to get kids back home. But when kids can't get back home, it has just sort of compounded the trauma for them to to uh, be in that limbo. And then by the time they finally are available for um, adoption, they're they, they have all sorts of trauma that they have lived through. Same issue with kids who are just um, only in foster care is they come in with high level problems that most foster parents, quite frankly, are not trained or equipped to deal with. Then we have the um, federal government's push to move kids out of residential placements, the sort of call it congregate care and try to move kids out of there. Well, guess what? Foster parents don't have to keep kids who try to burn their house down. And so you end up with uh, no residential placements, no foster family willing to take the kids. And we have the current phenomenon of hoteling, which is where kids with no placements to go to, children without placements, um, CWOPs, CWOPs, what they call them in, in the field, uh, you have uh, uh, caseworkers who have to take care of kids either in hotels or in their offices overnight. So it's 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 a big problem. It's becoming bigger, and a lot of it is because of the drivers of state policies and just the the lack of um, alternate resources for these kids. And, you know, I'm willing to bet that also um, drug addiction and fentanyl use and the number of overdoses that are happening in our society right now also contributes because that that means that more kids are, I hate to say the word available for the, but they have to be placed in foster care because there's nobody home anymore to take care of them. Is that, is that also a thing? I, I think the fentanyl crisis is causing a lot of um, the, the problems in foster care. And, uh, well, it, it it's contributing to the rise in the need of a uh, number of kids who need foster care. There's not much doubt about that. Um, it also um, increases the trauma that the kids are facing in their biological families before they come into the foster family. So... When did you first decide that you were going to work with kids? And um, it was a while ago. As a matter of fact, you know, I, you know, it doesn't seem like it, but 1980 was 43 years ago. <laughs> I, just, yes. I can't get over that fact. It's like 1980. I remember that. That wasn't that long ago. Right. Yeah, I, I, I know it wasn't. Um to some extent, I've been working with kids all my life because my parents did, and I helped my mom and my dad with their, they had uh, church ministries with, back then we called them at-risk kids, and so our entire family was involved in those ministries. My dad had a summer camp 
for kids that we were all very involved in. So it's just something that I grew up doing. And then when it came time for me to be an adult and support myself, I sort of gravitated towards the um, toward that field and worked as a caseworker in uh, a juvenile court in the uh, one of the metro Atlanta areas. Um, that's where I am now. We are still baking down here in the South. <laughs> You're not done yet? <laughs> no, no, it's still apparently not. <laughs> so, it's so, over 100 there, isn't it? Uh, it's, it is hotter than usual down here, yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, and with the humidity, the, I don't know how you guys uh, go from your house to your car because uh, you've got air conditioning, but uh, the humidity there is also oppressive. Yes, yes, it is. Um, to some degree, you get used to it, but, um, you know, it's a, a wet oven or a dry oven. <laughs> <laughs> in, in, indeed. And um, so you, you got to working with kids, and it became important for you. Now, the name of your book is Raising Other People's Children. And what I, I kind of got a good idea why you chose to write the book, but uh, in your own words, what... What motivated you to write this particular book? Well, it was uh, the immediate motivation was a friend of mine who was an author who kept nagging me until I finally said, okay, okay, <laughs> I, I will do this. Um, it, it, it's COVID. I, uh, I'm uh, sitting at home from work a lot more than I expected to. Yes, yes, I'll write the book. But the the much bigger motivation was all of the people that I saw to some extent it was foster families, but also step families who were just making a lot of elementary mistakes, mistakes that I made when I first started working with my kids. And um, my husband and I ended up with a, a foster grandchild. One of my former foster kids hit a bad patch and we inherited um, that child's child. And I, I, I found myself arguing with my husband a lot because he had never dealt with a traumatized child. And so it was a book that I wrote for people who were coming in where I started 20 years ago. And it, it was, um, it was something that I, I, it was hard for me in the sense that I had learned so many lessons and had just sort of incorporated so much into my day to day work with kids that I took it for granted that everybody else understood that <laughs> and to have to go back and tease it out and pull out what I knew and had just sort of synthesized into my life. That that actually was a bigger challenge than anything else. Well, as you know, because of the book and, and also your your walk through life, raising children is hard. Oh, raising, yes. Raising tr children, if you've never had them, like new newborns and, and your first child and stuff, that's very hard. Raising yes. kids with trauma who also have got certain habits and have got ways to be that you have no about until they're in your house, that's got to be really difficult to handle. 
it, it is. It can be extremely difficult, particularly when you're, you know, when you're joining a, a child's history and they have a, a whole list of things that have happened before you came in. And then uh, you come in and, and you're a stranger. And it, it doesn't matter how nice you are, but you're a stranger. And actually, from, from the kid's perspective, you're not even supposed to be in their life. That that was one epiphany that I had uh, from talking to a, a foster kid a number of years ago who it, it came out in the conversation. This child said to me, look, you're nice and all that. But if my life were going the way it's supposed to go, I wouldn't know you. And I thought, well, that that's true. You know, um, if, if this kid had not suffered this terrible situation, they wouldn't know me. They would be doing much better. They would be in a, in a, uh, an intact family. And even, um, you know, we tend to think of trauma as abuse and, and child trafficking and all of those terrible things. But we forget, too, that that divorce is really hard on kids. And it is a measurable trauma that has measurable impacts on their schooling and on their mental health challenges and on any number of things. So even something that is unfortunately very common in our society and that we say kids are resilient about, and they are, but even coming into that situation as a step-parent, um, the kids, I have a great relationship with all of my stepsons, but you know, if they had their way about it, I would be the nice neighbor lady next door. I I would not be their father's second wife. Well, but you are, and you handled it. I'm I'm sure you handled it just beautifully. Um, Are there things that a step parent now, let me preface this by saying my son just married a young lady, beautiful girl, love her to death, who has two kids. From two different fathers. Yep. One father is eminently involved and, and they have a parenting agreement. The other one is nowhere to be found. Right. Um, and the, that's with the three-year-old. And then the 10-year-old ha- has got the parenting agreement. And then enter him into the, <laughs> into the equation. Yes. You know where I'm going with this because he wasn't there for their growing up years and their formative years and all that kind of stuff. And mom has got a certain parenting style that she has employed that may, Oh, you, you're not, and you've heard this story before. Oh, I've been there. Yes. How, how does, how does a brand new, even, even I'm three weeks after the wedding, a brand new, new family get together and form a bond with and and to, to move forward through that because it's it's a very challenging situation yeah i most of the experts in this field and, and i agree with this advice is that the step parent starts very slowly work on the relationship a lot of step parents and um this was another mistake that, that disagreement that my husband and i had about our foster child it, it's the same sort of dynamic we're in a, a new adult 
coming into this kid's life. And most of us, our instinct is to start with structure and rules. And this is how you should do things. And this is how I want things done. And it's our house. We're used to being able to decide things in our house. But it just doesn't work very well when you start from there. So you really have to start with making the connection with the kids and working on the relationship and letting the parent who has been there make the decisions about house rules and consequences and correction. There's a, I don't know who coined this, but the mantra of connection before correction is, um, is that's the right way for step parents to go. Now, foster parents, it's a little different because most of the time um, with foster couples, you're both strangers to this kid. But even then, one parent will have, a, will be able to build a quicker, stronger connection than, um, than the other one. Sometimes it has to do with um, the kid may be used to having a mom and not a dad in the house, or the kid may, may, um, gravitate to the same sex parent because they just feel more familiar there. There's just any number of, of reasons that a kid will gravitate. And in those cases, you just let the person that is the most connected to them make the corrections and the changes and enforce the house rules because you have to build up a certain level of trust before kids are going to listen to you. Well, the other issue is, and I love your advice on this. The other issue is, should the, should the uh, biological parent and the step parent sit down and have a long involved talk and an agreement of how they're going to handle the, this brand new situation that presents itself? Yeah, if possible, you know, I've, I've heard all sorts of stories about um, step parents and biological parents having conversations and getting along and becoming friends. I, I never had that happen with any of my kids' parents. I'm talking about the new stepfather who's stepping in. Yeah, I know. Marriage. Oh, okay. Okay, good. Yeah, when, 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 I, when I was new in the relationship or when I was foster parent, um, I, I had cordial relations with my kids biological parents but they were not people that I became friends with <laughs> and, and in fact you know a lot of my foster kids parents I really didn't like at all so um yeah if, if you can if you can establish a relationship go for it but if you can't you still have to cope with kids and so the the rules that I always recommend is number one do not say anything negative about the kid's biological parents. Just keep your mouth shut. L learn to bite your lip, bite your tongue. Never, ever say anything negative about them because kids don't want to hear it. They don't want to hear you. Um, and it will torpedo your relationship sooner or faster than anything else. Even if you say things that are true and demonstrable and that they agree with, they will still resent hearing it from you. And then the second thing is let the, let the um, biological parent, they have their rules at their house and 
you have your rules at your house. I've just always found it better to work on house rules than trying to have the same rules for the kids. I mean, sometimes, you know, we have this, this belief that it's better for the kids to have the same rules at both places they go. Well, not really, you know, kids, kids from, from birth understand the difference between the rules where they are at the childcare center versus at home or at grandma's house versus home or at school versus home. And so it, 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 it doesn't cause any cognitive dissonance for them to understand this set of rules here and that set of rules there. Well, that's, that's, that's good because now kids are very resilient, aren't they? Um, they are. Um, we, we can't count on that too much because, you know, there's certain things that go into kids being resilient. It's not a natural state. We have to do things to help them be resilient. And that actually is a role that a stepfather can take, which is to set up a warm, loving relationship with these kids. Now, it may have to be a one-way relationship because they're kids. And um, sometimes we make the mistake in expecting kids to, to understand how much we care about them. No, they're kids. <laughs> they, they can't possibly understand what goes into loving and caring about them and taking care of them. And sometimes they'll feel guilty having a relationship with you. You know, there was the, um, that Julia Roberts movie where she was the stepmother who came in. I can't remember the name of it. And, and Susan Sarandon was the biological mother. But uh, at, at one point, one of the kids said to um, the biological mom, well, we'll, um, we'll hate her if you want us to. And that really, that rang true with me because kids have that natural loyalty and affinity, their biological parents, they, they want to uh, preserve that bond as, as best they can. And even with kids whose parents are not involved, they still miss that. And they will still, if there's anything at all for them to hang on to, they will hang on to it and guard it with a passion. So, you you have to um, let the kids do that and just learn how to to give one way commitments. I I call it being like gravity. You know, gravity does its thing, and we can ignore it, and we can pretend we don't like it, and we or we can not like it. We can fight against it. We can try to avoid it, but gravity doesn't really care. It is still there. It still does its thing. And, you know, eventually we have to learn how to work with it. And so, and of course, gravity is very impersonal. So uh, I, it, the analogy is not perfect. But we still have to be who we are and give what we have to give and be willing to make these one-way commitments to kids because it's the only way to ever have a good relationship with them. That's very sound advice. Very sound advice. Now I do have to ask you, I, since I've never been around um, the foster care situation or the system, and I don't really have any earthly idea how it works, but when you're when you agree to be a foster parent and you pass all the background checks and all the things that they put you through, and then they assign you a person or people or do you get like a choice of refusal or do, do yes. they so you can look at their 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 
bio and you can look at what's happened to them as best that we know it which may not may or may not be true um but well one of the big complaints is that in the foster care system is the caseworkers don't tell parents everything foster parents um and and if they're desperate enough for a situation i I don't ever want to accuse caseworkers of of um lying about things but they certainly will will downplay um, bad things and and spin it in the the light the, the best light possible in order to get this kid placed so um yes you you can always um say no um you can always um disrupt the placement after the kid's there and that's that's one of the toughest things committed foster parents know that that's that's the place you never want to go because you know all you're doing is um, adding to the child's trauma that's one of the worst parts about foster care for foster kids is the sheer number of placements they have they they go through and I can't remember. I think the average number of placements is something like 10 or 12. It's some astronomical number. And the foster kids, they, they, they may be safe and off the streets and getting food, but they're not building any relationships with people. And so foster parents don't have to take kids and they don't have to stay in the system and they don't have to keep kids. So a lot of the, um, the, the things that I have heard, the, the proposals about recruiting more foster parents and all of those things to build up the foster care system, they don't deal with the fact that the biggest complaint about foster parents is the system treats them very badly. And sometimes foster parents really, they, they, only reason they stay in it is because they care about the kid in their care. And I cannot tell you how many foster parents I've had who've said, have told me if, if the state moves this kid or this kid goes back home or, you know, for whatever reason, this kid leaves our home, this is it. We are not doing this again just because nobody wants to, nobody wants to work. Or, or do anything when you're having to pay money out of your own pocket and you're being treated badly. That sucks right there. That's, that's yeah. not, that's, that's not good. By the way, we're talking with Debbie Osborne and she's written the book, raising other people's children. Um, go to her website, which is Debbie And that's uh, a U S B U R N. And uh, you can find out all about her. You can find out how to buy her book in Amazon and everybody has it. And so please go there and do that. We need to take a quick break and uh, we're going to come back. When we come back, I would really like to talk to you about you made the difference and you are and you stuck with it when a lot of people don't. What sets you different? You're listening to Positive Talk Radio on KKNW. Hey, PTR loyal listener. First, thanks for being in my dream. And second, I have a new concept in business to share with you. It's called socialpreneurship. So what's that? Well, it's the idea that any company designates all profits beyond expenses to be awarded to a local or international charity or project 
which is working to achieve good in the world. KM Media is such a company. We believe that it's important for us to give back whenever possible and to make great things happen. So I hope you'll join us in creating this new business model that will positively impact all of us. In the next few weeks, we will lay out the plan and begin our fundraising efforts. So stay tuned for more details right here on Positive Talk Radio. When you want to say more than words communicate, you can with flowers. Your custom boutique floral studio in Bothell, Washington is anaturaldesign.com, connecting you to nature through the language of flowers. Where your people are is where our flowers are beautiful. Your success is our goal. anaturaldesign.com at your fingertips today. Hey, thanks for listening to Positive Talk Radio. Did you know that we're also a media production company? Well, surprise, we are. We can create all kinds of audio, video products to fill any need. Please visit kmmedia.pro backslash our dash store for a complete list of products and services. In addition, do you need a great voice to add to your own website or any other project? I know that we can add depth and quality to your work. I've been told more times than I can count by many professionals in the business that my voice adds to the quality of the presentation. So let me create something for you. Please contact me at Kevin at KMmedia.pro and let's create something great. Welcome back to Positive Talk, everybody. My name is Kevin McDonald. We've got a heck of a show going for you, and we're learning all about foster care and and being a step parent. and And Debbie Osborne is our guest. Um, raising other people's children. Be the person who's not supposed to be there. You. It's amazing what you do and what you've done in your life. And you've just basically said it as we went into break that there are a lot of people that go, you know, after this one, I'm done. You're not going to get me to do this again. I'm leaving the country. No, they don't say that, but they, <laughs> but, but they say I've, I've had it up to here and I'm not doing it again. What makes you different? Why did you stick with it? Well, I just, um, I just set up a relationship with kids. I had the two long-term placements and just, to some extent, I was with a good agency that didn't jerk me around and provided a lot of support. And I just, you know, stayed in it for the relationship with, with the kids. Although I, I, I will say after our last placement, our, our, uh, the foster grandchild that I mentioned, um, aged out and, um, moved back home. And my husband and I were talking about it and we, we, honestly decided to take a break and it's been a long break and I've enjoyed it, but we are moving into, um, we have signed up with a group that does uh, mentoring for young adults who have aged out of the foster care program. That is a huge issue with, you know, kids who uh, get to be 18 or in some States 21 or graduate from high school, whatever, whatever, how long the state lets them, that sign up to stay in and they don't have any family relationships. So we are uh, doing that now with um, younger adults rather than the younger kids who are still 
in the foster care system. Um, I have a couple of statistics that I remember, statistics that I remember off the top of my head, and I want you to kind of confirm them for me, uh, if that's true. I've been told that less than 25% of foster kids go on and have a college education. I'm, that's the number that I've heard, yes. I've also been told that the incarceration rate for kids that age out of the foster care system is higher than the national average. Is that also true? Yes, that is also true. Which means that what we do as a society is we go, well, we're going to take care of you until here, and then we're going to drop you off at the street corner, and now you're going to have to go figure it out for yourself. And if you don't make it, well, you know, there's a place for you in San Quentin that we can put you at if you really, you know. We have got to, as a society, I think, change our whole manner and style with which we work with kids. We get 12 million kids that go hungry every night. In 12 million kids that go hungry every night in this country. It's unconscionable. And yet we don't want to do, we don't want to, it's like having a couple of kids and saying, well, I'm not going to pay for them because I don't have the money or don't want to pay for them. Shouldn't we do a better job of taking care of those kids? Well, yes, but it's complicated. So for example, if, if, if I want to push back a little bit on the, just take the college statistic. Um, I think far too many kids go to college who shouldn't be in college. We have overinvested in college for our kids and a heck of a lot of my kids really should be plumbers or mechanics or any number of other things that you don't have to go into debt for in order to get the education. Um, I know I have certainly paid plumbers a whole lot more over the years than I have paid therapists with master's degrees. (laughs) So, if I can make a public service announcement here and to, to, to back up what Debbie just said, I have my oldest son is 35 years old and he chose because he always loved working with cars and loved working with diesel engines and stuff. So he went to a uh, technical college. Technical college doesn't cost what a college does and they're focused on being becoming a diesel mechanic. And so he became a diesel mechanic. Fast forward uh, 12 years from now, or 12 years later, which is now, he he can't not have a job because he's got recruiters that are coming to him all the time. Most of his co-workers are in their 50s, and they ca- they cannot find qualified mechanics. Same thing with truck drivers, same yep. thing with plumbers and electricians. and uh, the, You can't find people in the trades that are worth a darn anymore. Yep. And that's, that's why, I don't know if you've noticed, but there was a, a trucking company that said, we're going to give you a $15,000 bonus if you just sign up here because they can't find anybody. Because yes. everybody yep. wants to go to college and they don't want to work in the trades. Well, you can make, I was a bus driver for 12 years and saved my family's butt. And, right. Uh, Right. And, you know, you can you can make a heck of a living doing something that you, if you enjoy it and you're passionate, if you like working with your hands or whatever it is, you don't have to go to get a bachelor. This is my favorite is a bachelor's degree in business. <laughs> right. Which right. doesn't give you a chops to do anything until you get experience at doing whatever that is. And running a business. Yes. So, so I, you know, that statistic, I, I, I never pay any attention to the kids who go to college statistics because the, that's probably 
Um, you know, maybe maybe forty percent of them need to go to college, but certainly not all of them. But the um, the number of kids who become homeless and who end up in in prison it, it it is a serious problem. But when you talk about the number of kids who are um, who who go to bed hungry every night, well, how do we get the, the food to them? We have to give it through their parents, and it's not as though these all of these parents just need money um they have bad habits <laughs> they have <laughs> issues they spend the money elsewhere so it is one of that's why it it it's complicated just like kids who um come into our care as foster parents we know that what they really need and what we need to help them happen to the best we can is reunification with their biological parents. But sometimes those parents just don't work the plan. They prefer to um, go to their boyfriend's house than see their kids. They prefer to spend their money on drugs than to buy presents for their kids. They all have free will and can make these decisions. And the best we can do is help our kids pick up the pieces. Isn't it amazing how, when you look at it in total, how dysfunctional the human family really is? <laughs> how dysfunctional it can be. Yes, yes. Not, not, not uh, talking, I'm not saying everybody's dysfunctional. Well, let me put it another way. I Most of the families that I know, um, and through growing up years, there was a, a, a degree of dysfunctionality within that family group, no matter who it is. Um, and... <laughs> it's part of the human condition nobody's perfect no group of people is perfect i to some level i i I remember when i was growing up thinking that my family was the most dull and boring family on the face of the planet and i was going to be a very hip cool adult when i became an adult now of course looking back i realize that dull and boring is not a bad way to raise kids (laughs) (laughs) no but of course you you and i raised kids in a time when the internet wasn't the thing it is today um at least at least for me um and stuff and things have changed it's a lot i think it's a lot tougher to be a kid today than it used to be it is in a lot of ways. I think that I've seen, and I put on my blog, some persuasive arguments that it's not just the internet. The internet is sort of a, the last 20 years or so. But you start seeing the anxiety rates creep up around the 60s and the 70s. And that actually coincides with our raising kids with constantly being there, never giving them any time without an adult. And we do it to keep kids safe and, and keep them physically safe. But the effect is that we have taught kids that the world is a scary place and they can't navigate it without us. And we're not, teaching them how to be adults who can navigate the world. And so there's any number of things that we are doing all with the best intentions that I think could be having the same effect 
it could be sharing some of the responsibility along with um, social media. Well, you know what I don't see anymore? And I, I really kind of, I really regret this, that we don't see this anymore. I don't see kids riding their bicycles. No, no. I don't, I don't see kids getting together with the other neighborhood kids, getting a baseball and a, and a mitt and, and, a, and a bat and going to the park and choosing up sides and playing a baseball game. I don't see any of that anymore. And I really regret that our society has become that way. When it when I was a kid, we didn't have any money. So we would play army. I would pick the best looking stick I could find, and that became my rifle. And so we would play army back and forth. And my parents said, okay, it's uh, come home for lunch, and then I'll see you at six. Um, yeah. Or when the streetlights came on, and and it's not that way anymore. And I think we've lost something because of it. Oh, we we've definitely lost something because of that. We definitely are harming our kids. But if you if you give your kids too much too little supervision, um, you will end up with child protection investigating your home and threatening you with putting kids in foster care, because you know you don't dare let kids have a baseball game without an adult. Really. Uh, not in most states. Most, oh. it, it, a lot of it depends on the age. There is the, We are kind of pushing back against that, but there's all sorts of stories out there of, of uh, folks um, letting their kids do things and then, you know, someone calling and cops come to investigate and say, well, you know, your kids, your, your kid could have been snatched by a child predator the three blocks between your house and the, park when they're amongst the other 12 to 14 kids that had gotten together to go play or or three or four of them or whatever so it's it's it's, it it amazes me because it's it's really not i i I don't know i was looking at statistics because uh, um child trafficking has become is is right now is heavily in the news because of a particular Mm -hmm. movie that i will not name Mm -hmm. um and uh and what what we're finding or what they know is that kids that are that are homeless they may have left the uh, foster care system or they have run away from home they become the biggest trafficking target of of these people because they will provide them a home and and they'll come on with us and we're we're cool people and all that kind of stuff and then they suck you in and then and uh, there's a gal who's going to be on the show in a week or two that that's exactly what happened to her. Uh, she got sucked into this family unit. Another young gal came to her and said, you should come live with us. We're, we're really cool people and all that kind of stuff. Well, she ended up getting into prostitution because of the, because of that. And she was trafficked that way. Um, you know, so it isn't the stranger so much in the, in the in the hoodie and the dark of the night is going to snatch the kids from the corner. It's people they know, and people who say they care about them. The 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 boyfriend is very common. You know the the trafficking statistics. Um, it, it it's hard to differentiate to to pull them apart. But when people talk about trafficking, we think of um, kids who are picked up and kidnapped and carried somewhere differently but the vast majority of kids who are trafficked don't think they're being trafficked 
they 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 think they're being loved and cared for and they are um, just doing something because someone they love is asking them to do it there's even a pamphlet out that goes to teachers that says here's some seven warning signs uh, in your student body of kids so that some of the, some of these kids are going to school they're just like just like every other kid but mm-hmm. look, look for signs like they're not eating as well or they they, they're skinnier or they've got you know whatever the i can't remember what the seven things are but but they're all revolving around your life at home or where you are living if it's not your home where your parents are and sometimes your parents rather than getting into the uh, foster care system or they'll just pawn off pawn off their kids on a relative or and they'll and go down that rabbit hole so it's you you've written the book you're the expert you're the lawyer how do we fix it (laughs) well my my book is about for individual people working with individual kids the the what the policy prescriptions there's a whole lot out there and um that's sort of outside my my book although i certainly have opinions about it but uh, a lot of the the problem right now is is um to some extent, it, I don't know that it can ever be fixed because the system, the system will take care of itself. That's what systems do. You know, it's it's sort of built into when you have a system, it perpetuates itself and it protects itself. So that is is part of the problem. The other part of the problem is there's no mental health money and there and i think the move away from congregate care residential placements was a huge mistake because um the idea and i understand the 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 goal is to move these kids out of group homes and into foster placements but there's no foster placements <laughs> they they forgot the part about people don't have to become foster parents they don't have to stay foster parents and the only way that you're going to be able to fill that gap is to uh, provide the specialized training for foster parents help them learn how to be therapeutic foster parents and then surround them with the resources, the mental health therapy and the mental health treatment that these kids need. That's going to be expensive, but they're children. They're part of our society. And, and what we sometimes fail to recognize is children don't always stay children. They grow up and then they become adults. And then if they're not functional, then we end up with a lot of dysfunction in our adult population and now you got, I could go on and on. I'm not going to go down the road. I was about to go down because it doesn't serve anybody. But I will say this. If you are a brand new um, stepfather or stepmother and you or you know someone who is in that situation where they just found the love of their life and they're going to get married and they get married, unfortunately, or fortunately, hopefully it turns out, fortunately, the one that they're married has a couple of kids. Get this book. Because if you're going to have, if you get the opportunity to raise other people's children, she can answer a lot of the question, the questions that you may have or will have. If you had, don't have them now, you will, because she's been through it a, bu- 
a bunch of times and can help you through it. Have I misstated that at all? No, no, that's that's accurate. I, I have raised a lot of kids. The The seven kids are the ones that that stuck around. <laughs> there were the long term placements. I've, I've done a lot of short term placements, a lot of respite care. But um, the one thing I would say, you know, the, the, the difference between foster parenting and step parenting is that foster parents, you 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 can opt out of the foster care system with step parenting. You've made a commitment and you need to figure out how to make this work. So I have always said that um, step parents and foster parents too, but, but step parents, you need to concentrate first on your marriage. I think a lot of my friends who are step parents or who are biological parents marrying someone make the mistake of putting their kids at the center of their world. And that's very tempting because, you know, the kids are vulnerable and they want to be taken care of. And, and of course, now when I say this, um, the, the, I, I'm talking about, I'm not talking about unsafe relationships or, or abusive relationships. I'm talking about the 90% of relationships that most of us are in that are, that are not abusive and are perfectly safe. Um, our, our kids, first of all, our kids, if we do our job right, they're not going to be in our lives forever. If we do our job right, they will be on their own and independent. And we need to have a relationship that lasts longer than they're becoming 18 or 21 or whatever. And then the second thing is our kids desperately need to see how a relationship stays together. They, they need to understand that. Um, my youngest stepson was always, when I first got married, I would go off on business trips and he was always paranoid that I was not going to come back. And, and he and I had bonded early on. And so he was always afraid that I was going to just fail on the whole family. And, and it, it gradually got better. And I asked him a few years ago why he quit worrying about that. And he stopped and thought for a minute and said, well, you're still here. <laughs> you know, coming back. That's, that's, that's what our kids need. They need to know that we will still be there and they will not believe us until they see us still being there. And that's why we need to uh, make our marriage a, a priority as step parents. Um, that's the really the best thing we can do for our kids is show them how to keep a marriage together. It will change a seven generation cycle. It will. Um, and that's, that's, that's so important. We've been talking again with Debbie Osburn and she's written the book, raising other people's children, be the person who's not supposed to be there, but then sometimes they can have the bigger impact. If they, if you do it right, you can have a huge impact and you can actually save a young person's life. Debbie, we've just got a few minutes left. Or I've got like, 40 seconds left is there anything you'd like to add before we go no just um hang in there don't give up at the end of the day being a child's plan b parent can be pretty wonderful it's the most challenging and the most rewarding thing that i have ever done and thank you for doing it because there are 17 people out there that have got a much better shot at a good life because of your involvement with them so thank you. Thank you. And again, you, we've been talking with Debbie 
Osborne, get DebbieOsborne.com. Get the book, Raising Other People's Children. We're going to be back here on Wednesday and then again on Friday, Friday for our Double Shot Friday, which I just made that up. That's pretty good. Our Double Shot Friday from noon and then again at three on Kixie. I want to thank Debbie for being here. You've been a joy and you'll have to come back. Thanks again. And thank by you. the way, everybody, be kind to one another because each other's all we've got. We'll see you Wednesday at 4 p.m.